Yeah, I, I think I just want to add to, I just want to just reiterate and, and vocalize our love for Carlin and Tanya and, and Larry and Ina and our leadership team through this process. It's been, it has been very good, and so we're, we're very thankful. Um, <laughs> Jen told me that this is one of her very favorite passages of Scripture that I'm preaching from this morning. So I was like, I joked with her this week, I said, well, there's pressure. So uh, hopefully it meets the standard. No, it's, it's, this is one of my favorite passages as well this morning. And, and so maybe I feel pressure on like how to, how to unpack this well. Um, and you don't unpack all of it in one, in one sermon either, right? That's it's one of the things that it's always helpful to remember when you're preaching is that you're you know, I will preach from this again in the future and bring up different aspects. And so you don't always have to, I think sometimes as preachers you can feel this pressure, we got to pack it all in to, to this morning and we don't. Um, so, so this is the conclusion of this series that we've been in, the I Am series in John's Gospel, uh, that the I Am sayings that are recorded in John. And, you know, in John 21, you may, you may be familiar with this passage where John, he ends his book, the, his Gospel, and he says, if all the things Jesus did were written down, I suppose that even the whole world wouldn't have room for all the books that would be written. It's, that's one of those things. Where, and, and then he says this. In that same sort of section, he says, This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. That, that just, that gets me. Like, like, like the, we have these sayings from Jesus that John recorded with you know, the guidance of the Holy Spirit that he was, that the Holy Spirit was bringing to his remembrance of what Jesus said. But I wouldn't be surprised there was a whole lot more, right? That Jesus was saying that for whatever reason, we don't have record of. But uh, what John says there, I, this is the decision before us as well. Like, what do we do with the weight of these claims that Jesus makes? And I am like, I'm willing to stand on like, this is truth. And, and, and historically, that, that John wrote these things, that Jesus said these things, and then you, we've got to wrestle with, what do you do with it? Do we hold this testimony to be true? And if so, the bigger question is then, how do you live in light of them? Not, not just like, okay, they're true. The, okay, now, now what are you going to do with them? And so we come to the last of these claims this morning, and that is John 15, where Jesus says, I am the vine. And we're going to read um, from Drute, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples." 
As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what his master's business, does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. Jesus, we thank you for these words that were recorded by John. We thank you for what you said. We thank you that This is truth. We believe this. We receive this as truth. We receive this as the very words that the Holy Spirit impressed upon John to write. Jesus, we ask that all that you want to do in us and through us this morning, in these words and through these words, Lord, that it would be completed. Holy Spirit, we welcome you right now to do your work in us. We thank you, Father. We thank you for sending your Son, Jesus. We thank you for your willingness to surrender yourself to the will of your Father. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here with us. Your presence is with us right now. Jesus, we pray this in your incredibly powerful name. Amen. So, a lot, a lot to digest in there. Right, and and these verses, they're they're part of this longer discourse that Jesus is giving to his disciples just prior to his arrest, that would then lead to his crucifixion, but ultimately we know would then led to his resurrection and his ascension. Praise the Lord! And so these these verses are really about calling. They're about purpose. They're about vision for those who follow Jesus. It speaks to why were we we were created. Three, and I think there's at least three focuses here that I want to draw out this morning about why we were created and, and what the Lord's purpose is in that. And so the first one is that we are created to remain, or you could say abide, in Jesus. The, I know the, I'm reading from the NIV, I know the ESV replaces the remain for abide, um, but, but it's this picture of just being in Jesus. Now, Jesus presents this picture here of a vineyard and, and this connection uh, of it to him and what results of being connected to him as the vine. And, and so it's, it's, it's so fascinating because this, um, there's the picture of this large golden vine. If you go right here, this is the temple. And at the top there, if you can see, it's kind of, maybe it's a little bit hard to see. Steph might be able to zoom in a little bit. There's, there's right, yeah, woven, there's the vine Right there, look at that, woven into the actual design of the temple. And, and, it's, the, and it's an abundant vine, and it's meant to um, clearly communicating that Israel was seen as God's vine. 
The vine was also a symbol for the Messiah himself in the Old Testament. And so Jesus brings forth this picture to speak of himself as being the vine. He's the vine itself. To speak of himself of being the source of all life and fruitfulness for God's people. And so Jesus is the vine and we are the branches that are an extension of this vine. Now when you consider the clarity of what Jesus is speaking here, the implications actually are really simple. They're really understandable. And that is that connection to the vine is imperative for life. The branches will only be alive and healthy if they are being nourished by the vine, the root source. And so the invitation here is to remain or to abide. And Jesus, he's speaking this to his disciples as an invitation not to separate themselves from him. Like, like just don't do it. Don't, and, and, and what it says to us is don't get to a place where you underestimate your essential need to stay connected to me. And just, just prior to this, Jesus had spoken to them about how he was going to give them the helper, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, and he would speak again of this promise in John 16. So he's, he's telling them, like, you need to be connected to me. I'm going to make a way for you to be connected to me, to stay connected to me. And so it's really simple. We need the life of Jesus. And, and it's this connection that makes all the difference, all the difference in our lives. It is the difference between living something of a cultural Christianity or experiencing vibrant fellowship, relationship with Jesus, where you are becoming a new creation and you're experiencing the transforming power of God as the norm in your life. That it's not just some thing way out there that's theoretical. It's like, no, I'm experiencing transforming power. I'm bearing fruit in my life. We'll get into that yet. Now, how do you exactly articulate this is, is the question. Well, I would say one thing is you know it when you experience it. So, me as a young adult... I, I grew up going to church, did the church thing. Our family did the church thing. You know, it was just part of what we did. It was like, like I didn't know anything apart from being in the church. Now, amidst all the dysfunction in, our, in my family, and I, I've talked about, I'm so, I'm so thankful that the church, being in the church was normative for us. Like it was just something that I remember as part of my childhood. But... I don't. I can't say that I knew Jesus, knew about him. But then I encountered Jesus. I encountered the love of the Father, as a young adult. He spoke to me personally, intimately through a lot of painful stuff. Yes, but I knew Jesus. Like I knew him. I know him. Like it was. It was personal. And and there is ample opportunity right now in our world to minimize or lose sight of the importance of that in our lives. Where it's, it's busyness, it's career, it's family aspirations, it's goals, it's dreams, plans, never-ending distractions are all around us. 
Never before has there been so many opportunities in, before you to just keep you sedated and distracted with this culture. So this week, just happened to see our old house went up for sale, the one that we just sold not even two years ago. I was like, oh, wow, our, our house is for sale. So, of course, you know, you click on the realtor and you want to see what they're selling it for and you want to see pictures and the like. They haven't changed anything. In fact, everything they're claiming was my work. But whatever. And they're make, they want to make a lot more money on this house. But the one thing I noticed looking at this house was, and it's a smaller house, that's why we moved. Five TVs in it, in the pictures. I'm like, five TVs? I feel bad having two TVs. Nick, there's like five TVs in there. He's like... Do we even know what it's like to have a moment of quiet thought or reflection right now in our life without distraction? Do we know even what's going on in our hearts or are we just so distracted? So what does it mean to remain in Jesus? Like, What does it mean to abide? What does it look like? Well, it means creating time and space daily to meet with Jesus, to listen to him. You've got to do the word. How will his words remain in you? He says, my words are to remain in you. It's the, that's the precious gift of his word. To remain in him, you've got to cultivate and develop this into a daily habit. Don't let it become something I do once a week or twice a week. Cultivate it. A daily habit. My, my goal is to, I would encourage every single person in LCF, ages 10 and up, you can be in the word every single day. Minimum 10. Be in the word every single day. And my kids are like, what? Yep. Silence and solitude also is so important to this. Being still, being in the quiet. Not, not just, it's not just about reading a devotional, boom, okay, I'm done, the devotional's done. No, 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 it's sitting in silence. It's sitting, finding solitude and going, okay, Jesus, I, I want to know what's going on in my heart. What is going on? What are the things that are really weighing on me? What are the things that I'm just, I'm, I'm struggling to get free of? Okay, Jesus, speak to me. Open up your word to me. That, that you, we absolutely, if you're going to remain in Jesus, we need this. And prayer is obviously part of this. Verse 7, Jesus says, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This, okay, that, that is not like, I think I've probably said this before, that's not machine, uh, vending machine Christianity, right? Like you go up, oh, I want this, that looks good, Jesus, comes down, oh, I've got it because I, I prayed really hard and asked for it. No, 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 that's not what this is. John Stott says this, where hearts are set to conform to his will. Is your heart set to conform to God's will, not to your will, and open to share his yearning for the world, prayer's potential is limitless. In the work of mission, the church advances on its knees. 
Man, I like, I'm like, I love that. Jesus promised to send his Holy Spirit to us. He promised that he would send him to guide us into all truth. And the Holy Spirit, he says, he will speak the very words of Jesus, my very words to you. So in, as part of this, when you go, how do I remain? How do I abide in Jesus? Get into the word, get into prayer, silence and solitude, cultivating time with Jesus and desire for the presence of the Holy Spirit. So, so important. Yeah, and and this isn't only referring to our personal time with Jesus, yes. But it also comes through the ministry of others. But the ministry of Jesus as well to us, like personally through, through others as well, it's essential for your healing, for our healing, spiritual formation, and growth. There's also another thing here that Jesus draws out. To remain in Jesus also requires cleansing. Verse 3, he says, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So this ties back, John 13, Jesus is there. He's washing his disciples' feet to speak of their ongoing need of cleansing. He says to them, you don't need to a whole bath. You only need your feet washed. He's, he's basically saying to them, you are clean already, Spiritually, but you need ongoing cleansing. Speaks of our need to abide in Jesus and receive his ongoing cleansing for our We did a small little bit of that this morning in worship, right? Where we, where we are, we're saying, Jesus, I need you to shine a spotlight in me of what is going on where I have sin that is keeping me, hindering me from experiencing the fullness of you. And I need your cleansing so that I can abide and remain in you. That's, that's embracing humility, right? That, that's that's got to embrace humility as we surrender. Jesus, he also presents the Father as being very involved in this process. The Father's there to look over the health, to watch over the health of the branches and to maximize the fruitfulness of our lives. Two aspects of this are highlighted by Jesus. That the branches that aren't bearing fruit and need to be removed for the health of the other branches. That's, that's, that's something that's very interesting. And the pruning of other branches to bring even more health. And that word there in the Greek for pruning can also mean cleaning. can be interchanged. Cleaning, pruning. And so there's the removing of branches. We, we had an apple tree in our our. Actually, so the house that's for sale right now, we had an apple tree in that yard, and it was our favorite apple tree, and it developed um, what's, it, it developed a disease, but it, it started off by the shepherd's hook, if you know what that is on an apple tree, where the leaves start to curl, and it looks like a shepherd's hook. It's a really bad sign. When you get that, you're like, oh no, this isn't good for an apple tree. I learned all this, and it reveals that you've got fire blight in the tree, and if you haven't caught that quickly enough, if you haven't gotten that and you haven't removed it from the tree uh, and properly removed it, the entire tree is ultimately at risk. And that's what happened. We didn't, I didn't catch it. I didn't know exactly what to do. We didn't get it fast enough. The entire tree died and I had to cut the thing down. Diseased dead branches are not something to ignore especially as it relates to the health of the other branches around them. 
So in Jesus' example, this is the tragic reality of those who have not remained in him. They've been cut off from the life of Jesus. It is tragic. And Jesus presents this reality because he says you have to be aware of this possibility. There's also the pruning of branches. Now, if you're like me, this might be more difficult to process because you're like, even if I'm bearing fruit in his wisdom and grace, the Father will cut us back and prune us for a time in order that we might produce more fruit. And actually, Jesus doesn't say it might happen. If you look at it, he presents this as an absolute, that it will happen, because pruning is a natural process as part of growing. If you don't prune, eventually you actually will remove fruitfulness from a tree. I've got that problem right now with lilac bushes. I need to do a massive pruning because the lilac bushes are not fruitful. Yeah, no, I'll leave that. But this is, this is part of the process in our lives. So take this church review right now. It, it's, it's, church reviews are difficult for elders. They're difficult for the lead pastor. They're difficult for the church. It's not just all sunshine and roses. It's, it's difficult stuff. It reveals where we need to change. It reveals where we need to adjust. We have to be willing to admit weakness. God will bring seasons of pruning into our lives. Now, the thing about pruning seasons is that it might seem very painful and even stagnant. Seasons that, though, they're actually good for his purpose because they will actually bring about growth and fruitfulness in our lives in the years to come. And so the question is, do you even consider that for your life? Because everything around you might tell you that that's not the Lord. It might tell you, you know what, that, they might even say, that's the work of the enemy in your life. That's not the Lord. But what? Some people might say, like, like, don't submit yourself to that sort of season. That's not the Lord. But what if it's the Father who's actually bringing about pruning in your life? And can't forget the focus here is on our fruitfulness. Jesus is putting the focus on our fruitfulness. That doesn't just happen. There's processes and there's seasons that must be walked through to come into the abundance of God's fruitfulness in our lives. Second thing we see here, we are created to produce fruit for Jesus. The natural result of being connected to the source of life is that we'll be fruitful. In fact, Jesus says twice, verse 5 and verse 8, he says, you will bear much fruit. Not just a little bit of fruit, you'll bear much fruit. And he says in verse 16 there at the end we read, fruit that lasts. We want fruit in abundance that lasts. So Psalm 80, in that psalm, Israel is spoken of as a vine that has not produced as God intended, right? Remember, Israel is seen as God's vine. It's right, it's right on the front of the temple. You are my vine. You are meant to be fruitful. And Psalm 80, God saying to Israel, uh, you are not the vine that I intended you to be. 
He's saying, Israel, you were called to be a light to the nations. You were called to be a testimony of my glory and to my goodness around them. And you have not embraced this calling. Instead, Israel had become interested in being like all the other nations. They had been interested in, in incorporating all the other worship practices of the other nations around them. Idol worship, idolatry, all this stuff. Embracing their ways and rejecting the ways of God. And so God, he says that, I, I had prepared the ground for you, Israel. I had planted you as a vine for myself. He says, but you haven't, you haven't done what I called you to be. And so in that psalm, it talks how they've been cut down and they've been burned. And, and, and we know from the timing of the writing of that psalm, it was all around the taking, uh, being taken into exile. And they're, and they're writing this, and, and they're real, the psalm is realizing, going, we, we have not been God who you called us to be. God had a plan, though, right? A plan to redeem, set his people free from their sin, set them free from their disobedience. This is what it says at the end of the psalm. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. Whoo! Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. Restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. That's exactly what God did. He sent his son to come and to take all the weight of sin on himself, to invite us into relationship where we are set free from the power of sin. We are made a new creation. This plan was to redeem God's people, Israel, and graft into the vine all the other nations who would come to follow the way of Jesus. Romans 11, right there. Ephesians 2. You were separated from Jesus. You were aliens and strangers to the covenant of promises, having no hope, it says, and without God in this world. But in Christ Jesus, we who were once far off, it says, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, his sacrificial death for you. And so then 1 Peter, he picks up on this thought. Once you were not a people, but now you are who? God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Called to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his what? Marvelous light. Amazing. That, this, you know what that is? That is Psalm 80, the end of it in a nutshell, where the people are crying out to God. Restore us. Restore us. God, we need you. This is the missional call for us. Right? Because there is a danger to interpret these verses. It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me abiding with Jesus. It's all about me remaining in him. It becomes a very self-focused um, exercise of me. Me, me, me. Yeah. <laughs> of course, like I've said this, right? Abiding and remaining in Jesus is essential for our spiritual growth and health. 100%, like 150%. But that's not where it stays. 
This is about the mission of Jesus in this world and the renewal of all people through Jesus the Messiah and his followers. So this fruitfulness is not meant to be understood as just what's personal, beneficial to us. It's not about self-actualization. This is speaking of the fruitfulness in our lives that will expand and increase the kingdom of God in every sphere and every way. Expansion of the kingdom. Our purpose on earth is not to just achieve more for ourselves. To make more money, to insulate yourself in more comfort and accumulate as much circumstantial happiness as you can possibly stuff into your life. Oh, yeah, that's what this culture is going to tempt you to embrace like, like crazy. Just embrace it. Have it all. We cannot take this metaphor that Jesus is taking here and shape it to what we believe fruitfulness in our lives means. That's using scripture to mean and to justify what we want. So faithfulness to Jesus calls us to understand what abiding in the vine and producing fruit means biblically. It's bringing glory to the Father through the witness of lives that show us to be followers of Jesus, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and being a light to those around us. What, what is your purpose on this earth if you are a follower of Jesus? I'll tell you, it's very simple. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have an overarching purpose. Jesus says it twice at the end of John. You are a sent one. You are sent. If you don't believe me, John 17, 18, John 20, 21. Look it up. I know you believe me. Jesus sends his followers into this world to proclaim the good news of his kingdom. Into our workplaces, he calls you, you're sent. Into our homes, moms and dads, you can embrace the call to bear fruit in your homes as you live Jesus to your kids. You are a sent one into your homes. So, John 14, 31, last verse in that, just before Jesus says here, I am the true vine. It says there, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. And then he says, rise, let us go from here. Now in the Greek, that little phrase, let us rise and go from here, means basically let us go to meet the advancing enemy. Which makes total sense because he had just said, Previously, the prince of this world is coming. It's a battle call. Jesus is making a battle call to his followers. Get up and meet the advancing enemy. It is a call to arms in the spiritual sense. It is a missional call. So the, the indwelling presence of God in us, we've received his spirit in us. It's not an invitation to settle down, hunker down, forget the rest of the world, and pursue our own little kingdom in this Western culture. It's a call to mission. 
The Lord goes before us. You are sent. We are created. You are created to produce fruit. That's why Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Like what he's saying there is he's, he's wanting us to get it. Like this is the absolute necessity that you are grafted into the vine. This is not a theological position, folks. This is, this is speaking of lives, real lives that are fed, nourished, and sustained by Jesus. Remember, he's the bread of life. Lives that are connected, intimately connected into the vine so that you are producing fruit. You're alive. And so branches that are not connected to the vine, Jesus says they're going to wither and die. And, And proper care means that those branches will be cut off. Jesus is not condemning people. He's stating the immense danger of living apart from him. He's saying, take heed. Don't try to think you can somehow live apart from me even though the world will tell you you can. Don't do it. And as his followers, as sent ones, this is the message that the world needs to hear. Similarly, Remaining, abiding in Jesus connects us to Jesus' heart and his purpose, right? As, as you are abiding in the vine, you are naturally, you are connected into the purposes of God, into the heart of Jesus for you. The call to mission will naturally result. Fruitfulness will be a natural byproduct and it will result in our spiritual growth, character growth, This is why, you know, we can talk about fruitfulness too. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit. So all of that is, it's it's a missional call, but it's also that that fruitfulness is being produced in our lives and we're seeing it evident. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. It's the whole thing of emotionally healthy spirituality. You cannot be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. It's actually impossible. Third, last one. We are created to receive and extend God's love. This has to be present in in order for our lives to bear fruit. As, as long as we're connected to Jesus, as long as we're receiving his life, receiving God's love and pouring it out into the lives of others will be a very natural byproduct of that as well, which will then in turn and lead to more fruit in our lives and more fruit in the lives of others. We're, we're all experiencing right now how difficult this is amidst these challenging days of just soapbox opinions everywhere, right? And, and this, like this has been going on for a long time. Social media and news outlets have been driving this for a long time. And the that we're in is certainly magnifying all of this. And the thing that grieved me is to see the behavior and attitudes of Christians amidst this has been alarming, Alarming. 
It's re- and it's revealing heart postures. It's our witness, our witness, not our opinions, is what Jesus is concerned about in these days. Let's hear that from this, these verses. You are sent to witness, not to get on a social media soapbox with opinions. And so the question out of that is, do we care about our witness? Honestly, do we care? Or do we care more about making sure that my opinions and my views are known and that I get lots of of feedback on that? These verses are not suspended in these days. We don't press pause on this in the days that we're in. Or when decisions don't go our way. It begins with remaining in Jesus' love and experiencing his love. And Jesus says, remaining in my love is conditional upon our obedience to him. Ordering our lives around Jesus' words. Seeking to follow the way of Jesus in all things. Seeking to keep in step with the Holy Spirit rather than grieve him. Right? It's at Acts 5. It says the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey him. Yeah. Sounds, you may go, well, that, that sounds rather narrow and controlling. That sounds like that's going to cut across my will. Yep, it will. It's going to cut across your will. 100%. Yeah. But here's the thing. Jesus says that his way of love and obedience to him result in us getting his joy so that our joy will be complete. Who doesn't want the joy of Jesus that he has and have it being made complete in their lives? Psalm 1611, in your presence there is fullness of joy, it says there. Or, or the NIV says, you will fill me with joy in your presence. Like, just this filling of joy. This is the love that we need. This, this is the love that I want. And I, I'm, trust, I'm trusting Jesus in this. This is why obedience to the way of Jesus is such a gift. And it's, it's out of this love that we receive, out of this love of Jesus that we know, that we extend to others. We extend love to one another. Specifically, this is speaking to, of love within the body of believers. Love marked by sacrifice, love marked by service, love marked by surrender. This, this is the joy. It's, it's the joy of submission, right? What did Jesus, it says of Jesus, Hebrews 12, 2. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. So that is joyful submission that we see in Jesus. He's, he's submitting joyfully to the will of the Father. And that's the call of his followers. So this is where when Hebrews 4 says about making Every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Okay, for the church today, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And, and, and in this love, Jesus 
didn't shy away from tough conversations. He loved his disciples by calling them to more. He loved his disciples by actually calling them to account at times. And so, it's not being content. He, Jesus wasn't content to overlook where the disciples needed accountability and where they needed correction. But Jesus was committed to loving his disciples through the process. And Jesus' desire in all this, he says, is, my desire is that you would produce fruit that lasts. A result that comes as being connected to him. You're connected to me. I desire you'll produce fruit that will just go on. And so I want to, as we, as we head sort of into summer now, if you will, you know, there's sort of like a, a shift that happens at the beginning of July. Let's, let's not forget the importance of abiding in Jesus and embracing the mission that we are called to as sent ones this summer. So I want to I give you again some application to live this out in your life, to go away this week and, and to, to put five questions to you for you and the Lord. Number one, where might God be pruning me for greater fruitfulness for his mission. Second, what can I do this week to partner with God to produce fruitfulness in my life? This week and going on. Number three, where do I need to know more of the love of Jesus in my life? What is hindering me? Four, where can I extend more of Jesus' love to the body of believers in LCF? And five, how will I remain in Jesus and embrace his mission this summer? How will you embrace that for this summer? All right, let, let, me, let me pray for us as we, as we end. Oh, and you know what? These are gonna, we're we're going to put these on social media today too. So if you didn't get all these... We will have these out today if you, if you want to, uh, to have a copy. Father, I want to thank you for the way that you love us as your children. I want to thank you for the way that you love us as your church, Jesus. I want to thank you for how you invite us to come come and partake, to come and be with you, to come and remain and abide and to receive fruit, to produce fruit that lasts. Lord, we ask that you'd help us in this. Lord, we, we recognize in all this, this is not about our effort. This is not about trying harder this is, this is not about what I can do. Ultimately, it's about surrender to you and asking the Holy Spirit to work in us powerfully. And so we ask you, Jesus, as we surrender and as we submit our wills to you, would you do all of this for the glory of your Father? This is, this is about the glory of your Father. And so we pray this, Jesus, in your name. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come this week and to work in us. I pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.